0: The following sermon, entitled The Holy Conception Announced to Joseph, was preached on the morning of December twenty fifth, two 2022, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open God's word this morning to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. We'll read the whole of the chapter. The text for this morning's sermon will be verses 18 through 21, and then 24 and 25 as well. Matthew 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas. And his brethren. And Judas begat Pheraz and Zerah of Thamar. And Pheraz begat Ezram, And Ezram begat Aram. And Aram begat Aminadab. And Aminadab begat Naason. And Naason begat Salmon, And Salmon begat Boaz of Rachab. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. And Solomon begat Rehoboam, and Rehoboam begat Abiah, and Abiah begat Asa. And Asa begat Josaphat, and Josaphat begat Joram and Joram begat Ozias. and Osias begat Jeotham, and Jeotham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekias, and Ezekias begat Man- Manasses, and Manasses begat Ammon, and Ammon begat Josias, and Josias begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon." And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salathio, and Salathio begat Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begat Abiad, and Abiad begat Eliakim, and Eliakim begat Azor. And Azor begat Sadok, and Sadok begat Achim, and Achim begat Eliad, and Eliad begat Eliezer, and Eliezer begat Mathan. And Mathan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are fourteen generations, and the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are fourteen generations. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When, as his mother, Mary, was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make a public example, to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Thus far we read God's word the text this morning is verses eighteen through twenty one and then twenty four and twenty five. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together she found she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Verse 24, Then Joseph, being raised from from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto Him His wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and He called His name Jesus. Among the various narratives connected to the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ, this one seems to get the least amount of attention. That is, if we had to rank the various narratives connected to the birth of Jesus Christ in order of their familiarity, in order order of how well-known they are, how popular they are, would anyone think to put this narrative toward the top of the list? Likely, we would begin that list by the most well-known story of them all, the actual birth of Jesus Christ. And how Joseph and Mary had to go to the little town of Bethlehem. And there Mary gave birth to her infant son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Or we'd maybe... Put toward the top of the list the account of the shepherds coming to visit the newborn king because they had just heard the word from the angels. Or we would think of the wise men coming to visit the newborn babe. Or maybe we would think of the birth announcement of John the Baptist and Zacharias' unbelief and how he was deaf and mute for a time because he did not believe that the Messiah was about to be born and that his son would be the forerunner. Those are the the well-known, the popular, the familiar stories. And for whatever reason, this narrative of the angel coming to Joseph seems to get lost in the midst of all of them. So that even when we think about Matthew chapter 1, it's not so much the chapter in which the angel comes to Joseph, but it's the chapter with that long list of names of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Or we think of Matthew 1, verse 21 in the, the verse that tells us the meaning, the significance of the name Jesus. He shall save His people from their sins. But what we do not often think about is that the first story that we're told concerning the birth of Jesus Christ when it comes to the order of the New Testament is the story of the angel coming to Joseph. But now though it's less familiar to us, it's no less important for each one of these accounts, each one of these stories is significant for us as a church in that each one tells us a unique aspect of the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ. And what stands out here is the unique place of this Joseph, the carpenter from Nazareth. For within redemptive history, he occupies a unique position as one for whom Jesus came in order to save And at the very same time, he is the adoptive earthly father of our Savior. And it's in light of that unique role, that unique position that God gave to him, that it's really no surprise at all that an angel should come to Joseph to tell him that the long awaited Savior was about to be born and about to be born as the son of. Of his espoused wife, Mary, and so this morning we want to look at this history using as our theme the holy conception announced to Joseph, the holy conception announced to Joseph, and we will see three purposes in the angel coming to Joseph, first, to calm his fears; second, to thrill his soul, and third to spur his obedience. And those are the three points of the sermon. To calm his fears, to thrill his soul, and to spur his obedience. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, we read of Mary, she was found with child. I do not know about you, but I cannot help But wonder how that went. Particularly for Joseph. Did someone tell him? Or was he the first to notice the developing bump, the developing baby bump on Mary? And thus was led to conclude. Well, anyone would have concluded that this woman had been unfaithful to Him. For you see, Joseph and Mary were espoused. They were betrothed. That's the teaching of verse 18. When as His mother, Mary, was espoused to Joseph. Or we could say betrothed to Joseph. It's important to understand that being espoused was more... Than being engaged in our day. There's similarities, but there's differences, and that being a spouse was stronger in its meaning, its significance. For us, if a couple would get engaged, the wedding, the marriage could be broken off without any sort of legal repercussions, but not true. That was not true in that day if you were a spouse, if you were betrothed, because to be a spouse, together was to be married from a legal point of view. And that comes out from the way that this passage speaks of Joseph and Mary relative to each other. So that verse 19 says of Joseph that Joseph was her, Mary's husband, not fiance, but husband. And then when the angel comes to Joseph in verse 20, he refers to Mary as thy wife. Fear not to take unto thee, Mary, not thy fiancée, but thy wife. And what that's telling us is that from a legal point of view, Joseph and Mary were husband and wife. They'd been joined together in the bond of marriage. Be it, their marriage had not been fully completed and that they had not yet started living together. They had not yet consummated their marriage. And that's the idea being expressed in verse 18 when it says, Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together. That is, before they started living together in the same roof. In the same home, under the same roof. Now, what all this means is that from Joseph's point of view, this Mary is the love of his life. This Mary is the woman that He has come to love and to trust and plans to bring her to live with Him, to start a home and a family one day in the very near future. But now Mary has been gone for a little over three months. She's been away from Him. And we say that in light of Luke's account. In Luke's account, we have the angel coming To Mary herself. And the angel comes to Mary and gives her the most astonishing news she could ask for. The angel comes and tells her that the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior, was about to be born. And Mary, you are going to be the mother of the Messiah. You are going to give birth to the promised son of David. And when she asked, how can this be? Because I don't know a man The angel tells her, You will be you will conceive by the power of the Holy Ghost, who will come upon you and overshadow you. And after hearing that announcement, in Luke one, verse thirty-nine, we read, and Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste, into a city of Judah, and she entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. So immediately after she's told she's going to have a baby, she leaves and she's gone for Three months, and you factor in the travel time, and this is a period of time of over three months. And Luke 1 goes on to tell us about the interactions between Mary and her relative Elizabeth who believed the word concerning Mary and about Mary that she was about to give birth to the promised Messiah. And while no doubt they spent many hours discussing it, The joy of it. The wonder of it. Almost certainly, they also spent time talking about the day that Mary would have to go back to Joseph. You can almost hear their conversation. But what am I going to tell him? Mary, just tell him the truth. Explain to him everything that happened, everything the angel told you. But what if he won't believe me, Elizabeth? That, no doubt, was Mary's fear. And evidently, that fear was founded because Joseph does not believe her. And from a human point of view, can any one of us blame him? Because when Mary comes back after those three plus months, she comes back visibly pregnant. That's the idea of those words in verse 18. She was found with child. Literally, she was found having in womb. Or, she was found having a belly. There was a baby bump. You could see it. And if you are Joseph, whether someone told you about it or whether you're the first to recognize it, from a human point of view, there is only one plausible explanation. She was unfaithful to me. Now, no doubt, Mary tried to explain she, she no doubt told them everything that had happened and told them, look, yes, I'm pregnant, but it's not because I was with some other man. It was because the Holy Spirit came upon me and I conceived and the child within my womb is supposed to be the promised Messiah. But for Joseph, evidently, those words were nothing more than salt and the open wound that was his broken heart was adding insult to injury because not only was she unfaithful from his perspective, now she's inventing this crazy story, this lie on top of it. And thus for him, there was only one thing he thought he could do. And that was to put her away, to divorce her. And that's what comes out in verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Now when it speaks of putting her away, it's talking about divorcing her. And that would have been necessary because of what we explained regarding the meaning of being a spouse of being betrothed they were husband and wife from a legal point of view and thus this is not as simple as just breaking off the engagement but they would have to go through the divorce process this was allowed for joseph because again from his perspective and really any man's standpoint without the knowledge of what truly happened there's been unfaithfulness there's been adultery And Scripture permits divorce in this one case where there's been marital infidelity. So he's going to put her away, but what's noteworthy is the manner in which he intended to do this. Privately. Verse 19 says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily or Privately. Secretly. You see, according to the Jewish custom of that day, Joseph had two options in front of him. Option one is that he could go to the elders of the city and publicly accuse Mary of the sin of adultery. This would be like going to the court and filing a lawsuit against Mary in order to get a divorce. That would have been very public. Option two was to have the divorce papers written up and then he himself would bring them directly to Mary in the presence of the bare minimum two witnesses. Those were his options. And verse 19 is telling us that Joseph intended to go the route of option number two. Because He did not want to make an example of her. That's the language we find. Not willing to make her a public example. And the idea of those words, public example, is He does not want to disgrace her. He does not want Mary to be a public exhibition of shame. That is, He does not want Mary To have her reputation ruined so that she's branded as an adulteress, an unfaithful woman. Joseph's not willing to go that route. And this is evidence of the fact that he is indeed a righteous man. The text, begin, verse 19, begins, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man or literally a righteous man. In our day, we would say he's a godly man. And that even though he's been sinned against, He's still willing to show her some mercy. And in that, He's an example for us. Every indication is that Joseph has been sinned against. He's been wronged. And he is going to have justice. There's going to be a divorce. But yet, his justice is tempered with mercy. He still has a level of affection for her. So He's not going to stick it to her. He's not going to seek vengeance against her. But there's still a level of compassion. And I say again, in this He's an example for us. And now by saying that, I'm in no way undermining the importance of justice that if there's some sin and there's some wrongdoing, there, there often needs to be the consequences for that sin and that wrongdoing. But what to God that our sense of justice was also tempered by mercy. So that when someone sins against me, my response is not, I'm going to stick it to that person. But instead, there needs to be this. This level of mercy so that rather than going beyond justice and into the realm of vengeance, we stick with what's truly just and right, even as Joseph did. So in that, he's an example for us. But now, having noted that brief application, we need to get back to the narrative, namely that Joseph is about to put away his wife. But before he can do that, God Himself intervenes. For God Himself sends an angel. And that's verse 20. Verse 20, But while He thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto Him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. God sends an angel. That is, He sends a heavenly messenger. This angel comes to Joseph in a dream that is while Joseph is sleeping, and that's confirmed by verse 24, which speaks of him being raised from his sleep. So, in the middle of the night, while he's asleep, an angel appears, and we have to understand this is quite something. We must not allow our familiarity with this story to get in the way of thinking what this must have been like for Joseph. Because remember, there has been no direct word from God for 400 years. Yes, God has sent angels to Zacharias and to Mary in the recent months, but no one knows about those, or at least very few people know about those. For the church in that day, all they know is that all has gone dark from a spiritual point of view for 400 years, and now God sends an angel, and it's for good reason that there's That little word, behold. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream. This is quite something. Because this angel is coming with a message from God. So that this was not just an ordinary dream that Joseph woke up and thought that was interesting, that was strange. But this is a a dream in which he's receiving direct special revelation from Jehovah God. And that by itself makes it astounding. But what makes it even more astounding is what this angel has to say to him. For the angel comes to him and says, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sin. The angel is giving the exact same message to Joseph that the angel Gabriel gave to Mary. He's telling Joseph, the long-awaited Messiah is about to be born. And that the child within Mary's womb was in fact produced by the work, the power of the Holy Spirit. And now to strengthen Joseph and to comfort him in light of this astonishing news, The angel reminds him of his lineage. Notice how the angel addresses him. He says, Joseph, thou son of David. That is, like Mary, Joseph was also a descendant of David. And by reminding Joseph of his lineage... The angel is pointing Joseph to God's work and to God's plan. Joseph, don't you see it? You and Mary each are descendants of David. And you know that God promised to David a son who would establish an everlasting kingdom. And now Joseph, God brought you and Mary together for the purpose of bringing that long-awaited son of David, the promised Messiah. That was the message for Joseph. And for the purpose of this first point, we need to see that in giving this message, the angel was calming his fears. Comes out from the fact that the angel says in verse 20, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not. Do not be afraid, Joseph. Do not fear that your wife has been unfaithful to you. And do not fear to take her into your home to live with you. Because Joseph, everything she told you is true. It's true that she was not off with some other man while she was gone from you for those three months. And so what the angel is doing is showing that this is indeed a word from God. Mary almost certainly had tried to convince Joseph, but her word had proved insufficient. But now here comes an angel directly from the Lord and from His presence giving the same message, confirming Mary's word. And having heard this, Joseph therefore believed. He did not believe Mary by herself, but he does believe the angel. And in this, his fears are calmed. That, first of all, is God's purpose in sending this angel to announce the Holy Conception to Joseph to calm his fears. But if we would stop there, we would not be doing justice to this passage. Because this passage is about so much more than Joseph and his relationship with Mary. This passage is not just about the, the keeping of their marriage and avoiding divorce. But fundamentally, this is an announcement of the birth of our Savior. So that the good news in the text for Joseph is your wife was not unfaithful. But the best news of the text is that the Savior is about to be born. And that's the message that would truly thrill his soul. And that's the the second purpose of the angel in coming. For the angel tells them about the son, that he would be the Savior. And that's verse 21, especially. Verse 21 and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus for He shall save His people from their sins. God Himself picked out the name, as it were, for this child. He would be called Jesus. That is, Jehovah's Salvation. That is, He would be given the Greek form of the Old Testament Hebrew name, Joshua. And thus the angel is communicating that this son would be the greater than Joshua. The one who would like Joshua, but in a greater way, Conquer the enemies of God's people and lead God's people into their promised rest. And note well, this would be His work. He shall save His people. That is, the angel is not announcing the birth of one who would announce the coming of the Messiah like John the Baptist, but the angel is announcing the one who would come to accomplish this salvation He himself would bring it to pass. He himself would do what was necessary to accomplish our salvation. And this child would save from our sins. He shall save his people from their sin. That is, he's not come to deliver you from the Romans and the oppression that you and your fellow Israelites experience. He's not come to deliver you from earthly sickness, disease, injuries. Nor has He come to deliver you from famine or from poverty or from hunger. But He's come to save you from something far worse. From that spiritual disease that destroys Not the human body, but the human soul. He's come to save from sin. From the guilt of sin. From the power of sin. From the pollution of sin. From the punishment of sin. That's the kind of Savior this Jesus, this Son will be. And thus He's the Savior we need. But now, not only is He going to deliver us from our sin, but there's a positive aspect to this salvation and that he, He's come to give us all the, the blessings of salvation so that He's a, a complete Savior, a full Savior to save us to the uttermost. That's the message that the angel comes bringing to Joseph. And oh, how that message must have thrilled his soul. Because this means God is keeping His promises. All throughout the Old Testament, God made many promises. Beginning all the way in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the promise to send the seed of a woman to crush the head of a serpent. And all throughout the Old Testament, God is reiterating that promise. He's repeating it again and again and again. Even as He did in Isaiah 7, verse 14. Promising that a virgin would bring forth a son and that He would be called Emmanuel. That is, God with us. That was God's promise. And now for Joseph to hear, this announcement was for Joseph to hear, God is keeping those promises. And He's doing it right now when everything seems so dark, so bleak, so utterly hopeless. Hopeless. This child in the womb of your espoused wife. He is that seed of the woman. He is the seed of Abraham. He is the son of David. That is, he is the promised Messiah. And that's a soul thrilling message. And it's all the more so because it's an announcement, because it is an announcement, that Joseph's own Savior was about to be born. You see, Joseph was indeed a righteous man. We've seen one example of that. We are going to see another example of that in the third point. But though Scripture itself calls him a just, a righteous man, we must recognize he's still a sinner. That is, in and of himself, he does not have a righteousness that can measure up to God's standard of righteousness. In and of himself, he cannot go in his own righteousness before the judgment throne of God and be accepted of God Joseph is a sinner, and therefore, Joseph needs a Savior. And the good news that the the angel is bringing is not just the Savior, but Joseph's Savior is about to be born. The One who's going to deliver Joseph from his guilt, his pollution, from the punishment he deserves. Because that's a part of the message. This message must have thrilled his soul. Because what the angel is doing, really God through the angel is taking the worst possible news and turning it into the best imaginable news. Joseph thought, he had received the worst possible news: that this woman, whom he had come to love and to trust, had been unfaithful. That she had gone after was gone after some other lover. The worst possible news for a man who was looking forward to starting a home and a family. All of his hopes, all of his dreams shattered. But now that thing that was the worst possible news is changed into the best imaginable news. Because this son in Mary's womb is not an illegitimate son. This is not a child of whoredoms. But this is the Savior. The one who the church has been looking for. The the desire of every nation. The hope of all the world. He's about to be born so that the worst news becomes the best news. And embedded in that is a message that's as equally remarkable, as equally soul-thrilling. Not just the Savior is about to be born, but also the manner in which this child had come into the world that is a part of this is the announcement of the the miraculous conception. That's a part of the message. And that comes out from the language in verses 18 and 20, which speak of this child being of the Holy Ghost. Verse 18 says she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And then verse 20, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. It's teaching us, the truth that Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Ghost. That is, Jesus Christ's humanity was not formed the ordinary way in which a human is created. That is, it was not due to the process of an egg in a woman's womb being fertilized and then growing from there, but the Holy Spirit is the one who formed Jesus' humanity out of the substance of Mary. That is, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and He derived Christ's human nature from the flesh and blood of Mary in a miraculous and in a mysterious way. And know well, this is the Spirit's work. Not an angel's. God sends angels to announce the birth of the Savior, but God does not send an angel to form the humanity of Jesus Christ. Only the Spirit could do that. And thus, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Mary had conceived. This child was of the Holy Ghost. And what is more, the Spirit had sanctified that child. And that comes out from the word order in verse 20 in the original. In our King James versions, we read at the very end of verse 20, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. The word order in the original is that which is conceived in her is of the Sorry, that which is conceived of the ghost or of the Spirit is holy. So that the word holy is not actually modifying the Spirit, the ghost, telling us it's the Holy Spirit who's doing this. But the word holy is actually modifying the one who's been conceived, the child in her womb. This child is holy. That is, this child is not the product of a a sinful, adulterous relationship. And more importantly, this child is Himself holy. That is, this child is sinless. There's no blemish. There's no imperfection here because the Spirit Himself sanctified this child, set apart this child, prevented the depravity, the corruption of Mary from being passed on to her Son. That was a part of the message of the angel. And what a soul-thrilling message that is. Because this is a miracle we're talking about here. Who can comprehend this? Who can fathom this work of the Spirit? Joseph believed it, but I can assure you, he could not fully wrap his mind around it because the reality is that the church for the last 2,000 years has been unable to fully grasp this concept that Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Ghost. Yes, we can explain it. We can put words to it. But we can only go so far. This is a miracle. This is a wonder. And that's a part of what makes us a soul-thrilling message. But what is more... There's the implication of this that this child would be God Himself in human flesh. That's the implication of what's being said here. For you see, if this child came into this world, the ordinary way a child is conceived and born, that is one man, one woman, coming together to produce a child, then the child would not only have a human nature, but as to his person, he would be a man. That is, is, would be fully and completely man and there's nothing more you could say about him. But because this child is of the Holy Ghost that is conceived by the Holy Ghost, and because when the Holy Ghost formed the humanity of our Savior, at that very moment, the second person of the Trinity came and joined Himself to it. That is, He assumed that flesh and blood. He took to Himself our human nature so that this child is not an ordinary child, but this child is the Son of God. This child is the Word made flesh. And that's the type of news that would have thrilled Joseph's soul Because once again, we see God taking the worst possible news and changing it into the best imaginable. It was not some other man that had fathered this child. That's the worst possible news for Joseph. That this child is the son of a a stranger, an adulterous man. That's what he had assumed. But the angel comes and gives a different explanation so that that worst possible news becomes the best imaginable news. This is not the son of some other adulterous man, but this is the Son of God of the same essence as the Father. God of God and light of light. And therefore, the Emmanuel... God Himself come down from heaven to live with us, to dwell in our midst. The worst news became the best news. And it's so crucially important this morning that we see that this is not the only time that God did this. This is not the only time God sends an angel to tell the church, to tell His people that what you thought was the worst news is in fact the best news. Because God would do this very thing some 30 years later when He sent an angel to a group of women just outside of Jerusalem on a Sunday morning. For you see, those women thought that the worst possible thing had happened. Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth was crucified. That is, this one... Whom they believed to be the Son of David, to be the promised Messiah. This one who had demonstrated that he was, in fact, the Son of God by his own miracles and the wonders that he performed. This one whom they trusted would establish an everlasting kingdom. The one in whom all of their hopes were stored up in the this one whom they thought had come to save them from their sin. He's now dead. He's buried. And He didn't just die a normal death. He was crucified. Hung upon a Roman tree. He died an accursed death. The worst possible news. Their hearts were broken. Their hopes were shattered. And to add insult to injury. Now there's evidence that someone has come and taken the body of their Lord and stolen it away. But into all of that confusion, into the midst of that pain, that sorrow, God sent an angel to take what was, from their perspective, the worst possible news and turn it into the best imaginable news. For an angel comes to this group of women that Sunday morning and he tells them, be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. And with those words, everything was changed. Though they could hardly believe it, though they did not fully comprehend it, they understood what the angel was saying: that Jesus Christ lives; He lives; He lives today. They were informed of the resurrection, and it was that resurrection that that changes everything. It takes Jesus Christ's death and changes it from defeat into victory. It takes the cross and changes it from the emblem of suffering and shame, that sign of an accursed death, and it turns it into that which we glory in, that which we boast in as Christians. There's a great reversal here. What they thought was the worst possible thing, Jesus Christ died on the cross and was buried, becomes the best imaginable thing He did that to save. To save His people from their sins. From the power, from the pollution, from the guilt, from the punishment. And to give us all the the blessings of salvation that He earned for us. So do you see how our God works, congregation? how He takes the things that we think are the worst case scenario and uses them for His good, for His glory, and for our good. That's what He did with Mary becoming pregnant. That's what He did with Jesus dying on the cross and praise be to God. He still works that way today in our lives with those things that we think, this is the worst thing that could ever happen to me. This is all wrong. What's going on in my life? And He changes it. He turns it into that which ultimately serves our good. So that all of it, beloved, is for our salvation. Believe it, child of God. And let that soul-thrilling message be what spurs you on in a life of obedience. Even as it did for Joseph. God sent an angel to Joseph to announce the holy conception to calm his fears, to thrill his soul, but then also to spur his obedience. For that announcement, included a calling for Joseph. A calling to take Mary to be his wife. Verse 20, the angel says, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. The angel is telling Joseph, do not divorce her, but take her to live with you. Now, do it immediately. Bring her into your home and care for her. Provide for her. Protect her. And clearly implied in that is that He was not only to care for Mary, He was also to care for the child in her womb. That is, the command to Joseph, take Mary thy wife to thyself to live with thee includes in it, take to thyself This son. And that points us to God's purpose with Joseph and the role, the unique role that Joseph would play in redemptive history. And that this Joseph, the carpenter from Nazareth, would be the earthly, adoptive father of Jesus Christ. For God's will for His only begotten Son was that He would grow up In a loving and stable home. God's will for his only begotten son was that he would be raised in a covenantal family. And now he's telling Joseph, You are going to be the adoptive father of that family. And now it's true. Twelve years from now, this Jesus is going to say to Joseph and Mary, Know ye not that I must be about my Father's business that is my heavenly Father's business? That's coming. But at the exact same time, that's true. God's will was still for Jesus to have an earthly father. And thus the calling for Joseph was to care for this child, to raise this child, to protect this child, to provide for this child, And what Scripture makes very clear is that Joseph obeyed. Joseph's obedience comes out in this passage. Verse 24, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him or commanded him. Joseph obeyed. He did so by taking Mary to himself. The end of verse 24. And took unto him his wife, that is, he brought Mary to live with him. And gave her the physical as well as moral protection that she needed. And then verse 25 tells us more of his obedience. And he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Notice, Joseph is the one who is being said, of whom it is said that he called his name Jesus. And now we know that this does not mean Joseph came up with a name. But the point is he is giving the name that God Himself told Joseph to give to the child. He's obeying. And His obedience comes out in the other Gospel narratives. So that when we come to Luke chapter 2, we see His loving devotion, His care for His bride and the child within her womb. And that when all the world is called to enroll to be taxed, He doesn't leave his wife behind for the handmaids or for the nurses, but he takes her with him because he's going to be there. He's going to help her every step of the way. And then he obeys still further when God sends another messenger telling him the danger that they are in because of the rage of Herod. And Joseph dutifully takes his family down into Egypt to live there for a time. And then when God says, it's okay, you can move back, Joseph moves back even as God told him. And in all of this we see, oh yes, he is a righteous man. That is, he was a godly man. He obeyed God by the grace of a Spirit at work in his heart. And there are two things especially that make this obedience altogether beautiful. First, this was a quiet, submissive obedience. And that comes out from the fact that on all the pages of Scripture, there is not a single spoken word from Joseph recorded for us. Did you notice that as we read? The angel comes with a message to Joseph. And all we read about is what Joseph did, but never what Joseph said. And that's unique because in all the different narratives connected to the birth of Jesus Christ. Whether it's some announcement, the birth itself, or some of the aftermath. There are all these different characters involved and it seems that every other one is talking. Whether what they say is good or bad, whether it's a king, a priest, a scribe, a relative, or even shepherds. Everyone else has something to say. But not Joseph. Not one word comes out of his mouth on the pages of Scripture. Not because he was made mute like Zacharias. He could use his tongue. But because Scripture wants to show us his obedience. It it focuses on what Joseph does. And it's showing us that this is a quiet, A submissive obedience. Whatever God tells him to do. We read of Joseph doing that very thing. That is true obedience. And that's beautiful. And the second thing that makes this obedience beautiful is that it involved a love and care for a child That was not his own. Yes, he would be the earthly adoptive father, but he was not the true father of Jesus Christ. And now, fathers, think about that for a moment. It meant that Joseph could never once look at that child and see himself in the child. He probably could recognize some of Mary's features, whether it was her nose, her eyes, her mouth, whatever it may be. But not once could Joseph look into the face of Jesus and see a reflection of his own face. Because the child was not truly his the child was the God of Heaven nurse only begotten son, the image of God himself, but yet that did not stop Joseph from loving this child. The child does not belong to him; the child is not his own, and yet he still provides, he still protects he still. Raises in obedience to God's word. And does not all of that show us his faith? That's what stands behind his obedience. Joseph believed, he believed the angel that Mary had not been unfaithful. And that the child was, in fact, of the Holy Spirit, but more importantly, he believed that this Jesus, somehow some way, would indeed save him, Joseph, Joseph of Nazareth, from his own sin. and out of thankfulness and by faith. Joseph therefore obeyed as an expression of his gratitude. And may that be our response this morning too. To believe in this Jesus, the Savior of His people from their sins. And in gratitude for that salvation, quietly and submissively to obey in whatever station and calling God has given to us. Amen. Father in Heaven, our souls are thrilled. Our hearts rejoice. On account of the good news of the Gospel that we have heard this morning, Take this Word, apply it to our hearts, strengthen our faith, and spur us on in a life of obedience. Hear this prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.